Us is in memory of Yechezkel ben Shmuel. And we were going to learn today about Parshat Vaishlach. This Parsha starts with the story how Jacob is coming back to Israel after being 22 years by Laban, <coughs> marrying four women. Rachel and Leah, Bill and Zilpah. At this point, having already 12 children, 11 boys and one girl, Dina is the girl, and he's running away from Laban, Laban caught him, the whole story is on the way back to Israel. But then he sends messengers to find out how his brother, his old good brother, Esau doing. If he loves them, if he forgives them for, for, the stealing the, for misleading and getting the blessings. And they came back and told him, he comes, or how he comes, with an army of 400 people to beat you up, basically. Why you come with an army of 400 people to say hello? <laughs> then uh, Jacob is very worried. He's dividing, he's getting ready. He sent a ransom. Many animals. Many, uh, Jacob was at that point a rich man. He amassed a lot of of um, wealth in Haran. And he's sharing this wealth with Esau. He wants to give it to him. Maybe he will relax. And maybe by paying him off, he will relax. Then he divided his family and his uh, mates and his servant and maid servant into two camps. In one, fam- in one camp was his family. The other camp was everybody else. He said if he beats up one camp, at least one camp will survive. And then he turned to God for a prayer. We're starting in source number one. We start, we start to talk about the prayer that Jacob made to God. Go ahead. Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, who said to me, Return to your land and to your birthplace, and I will do good to you. I have become small from all the kindnesses and from all the truth that you have rendered your servant. For with my staff, I crossed this Jordan River, and now I've become two camps. Now deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Asa. For I am afraid of him, lest he come and strike me, and a mother with children. See, Jacob, before he left to Haran, when he ran away from Israel, God, he had a dream, what you learned yesterday in the Parsha. In the dream, he saw a ladder, our angels go up and down. And then God revealed himself to him, told him, Jacob, don't be afraid. I will not abandon you. I will be with you. I will protect you, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. He had a very good insurance policy from God. What's going to be for the whole trip to Haran and the way back? Here is on the way back. He's still very afraid. God told you, you'll be okay. It almost looks like he doesn't trust God that he will deliver on his promise. Why is he so afraid if God is promised him it will be good? And he said, then Rashi explains what, what really lies behind this prayer. Continue. I have become small. My merits have diminished because of the kindnesses and the truth that you have rendered me. Therefore, I fear that I may have become sullied with sin since you issued me this promise, and these sins will cause me to be delivered into Esau's hands. What he says is, yeah, I know that you promised me. I know that you said they'll take care of me. But maybe I lost the credit. Maybe I didn't do it good enough. Maybe you already used, I used up my credit. You already saved me 20 times. Who says you're going to save me again? That was his thinking. <clears throat> and maybe he said, as I, I was, maybe I made, I, and this, I, I, I sinned. And because I sinned, it was, you promised, but maybe I lost the right to benefit from your promise. That's why, you know, why we pray every day. Rosh Hashanah, God gives us a good deal. Sean? We made a deal, right? Goodbye. I'll see you next Rosh Hashanah. Where's time for this? Look, half of the congregation thinks like this, right? They come Rosh Hashanah and keep they close the deal, they go home. Because you still can lose it. Still, to make it a reality, you need to 
clean the pipes, the blessings will come down and become a reality. That now he felt, Jacob was so humble, that he felt he's undeserving the, the promises that God gave him. The blessing that God gave him, who promised him for. And that's why he was praying again. And he basically was not asking, God, you owe me one, you promised me. He just said, please, I'm so small. I'm so nothing. I am so diminished of my, of my merit. Just do me a favor. Just have mercy on me. Rachmanes. That's what he was asking for. So, listen. One extra prayer will not hurt, right? So it only can help, right? It only help. You're absolutely right. He's sending the gifts, right? You know, the Ishmael, he could have take the gifts or reject them. Esau, you mean? Esau, yeah. Or he could have taken the gift and still attack. You're right. You, can, you have to do in the physical world what you can do. But in the end of the day, if it's going to work or not, it's up to God. But well, at this point, he's like 22 years away from his father, right? 22 years away from his parents, yes. Right, yeah. So that's probably one of the things I, I think I also read somewhere that he was way worried that since he didn't respect his father throughout his years, he never said anything. He, no, you're right. He was feeling that Esau had one mitzvah that it was very big on. He took care of his parents. He respected his parents. Kibbut Avayim was very big by him. Jacob was away. He couldn't do it. He was building the Jewish people in Haran. Then he, did, he, said, he felt that maybe this merit of, for Esau will stand for Esau that he took care of his parents and he did not have it. Maybe he will have something above him. That's why he was praying. But it comes from a sense of true humility and humbleness. To, to pray like this. Is Jacob, uh, I mean, when mother, when she did all this stuff, is, uh, you saying, was taking care of his parents, uh, despite that he kind of, uh, he figured out enough that mother kind of just orchestrated the whole thing of this and still was taking care Yeah, especially of his father, but also of his mother. Yeah. Ace of had one mitzvah that he was extraordinary, especially for his father. He used to have a set of clothing before he came into his father, he used to put on a set of nice, a nice suit. With this, he used to walk into his father to take care of him. Even sometimes he had to take care of his father. His father was dairy or something. Usually you put on a, a robe. He had a, the most expensive suit. Was waiting for him before he walks into his father. That's how much he took care of his father. This mitzvah is Oved. And therefore, Jacob was afraid maybe this mitzvah will stand for him. Will protect him. And he will be able to beat them up. But, but Jacob must have known that he still had connections with, with God because he, it says he sent, not messengers, he sent angels. My friend, so has that a, man, a man who has connections with God never expect anything from God. If you have connections, you don't think you have connections. And you think you have connections, you have no connections. Hmm. Understand? Yes. A real connected man to God doesn't think he has connections. He thinks, who says God never pumped? Who says I deserve anything? Being close to God means that's, that's the whole discussion going to be. Let's learn a little bit. That's, that's my point. Beautiful. That's what it's all about. Very good. You paid attention. Great. Go for it. Does the world belong to the young? Personal escort or a representative? Source two. Rava said to Rabba Barmari, from is, the po- from is the popular saying, when... From where should be. From where is the popular saying? From where is the popular saying, when we were small, we were considered to be men. And now that we are old, we are considered children. There is a, was a saying in the, ta- the time of the Talmud, when we were small, people considered us like adults. Now, when we are old people, people treat us like babies. It's true until today, right? Go ahead. Rabbi Bar Mari said to him, there is a scriptural support for this. You know, there is, was, in the Talmud, there is a thing, the discussion, in, uh, many discussions see, where is the proof in the Torah for the saying that people say? If people say something and everybody repeats it, a big saying, must be that there is a source for it in the Torah. And if it makes sense, if it's true, there is somewhere in the Torah uh, 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 that comes from, it comes from, there is, there is a proof for it from the Torah. 
Initially, it is written, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Exodus 13.21 God himself guarded over the Jewish people, but at the end, after some time passed, and it would be expected that the Jewish people would be more important, it is written, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you on the way, indicating that an angel was sent and not God himself. As we're going to learn in a minute, it brings proof of two places in the Bible. One place is, when we came out from Egypt, it's written God, God himself was going ahead of the Jews to pave the way for them with the cloud of glory and with the, with the, with the pillar of fire, right? That was the Moses deal. What do you mean the Moses deal? <laughs> but he, he said, I... One second, yeah, I that was before any deals. That's when the Jewish people came out from Egypt. Later, it was the golden calf. After the golden calf, God told Moses, you know what? It's better I shouldn't be among the Jewish people. I will send an angel. Moses had a fight about it. And he says, if you, do, if you don't come yourself, I'm not going. He basically gave God an, an ultimatum. But God wanted to send an angel. Then from this, the rabbi said, you see, in the beginning, when the Jewish people came out from Egypt, we were like, it's considered when the, the, the birth of the Jewish people is when the Jewish people left Egypt. We were babies. When we were babies, we were, we, uh, God treated us like adults. Himself went with us. When we were adults, after Mount Sinai, after God gave us the Torah and the golden cave, God said, you know what, they'll send you an angel. You're like babies. I don't have to be there. And then the Talmud says, this is the proof for the saying that when we are little children, we are treated like adults. And when we are old, we are treated like children. Now, in source number three, in source number four, he's just quoting the line there from the Bible. Go ahead. In source three, it came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them on the way, and at night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to travel day and night. He did not move away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire at night from before the people. This is a minute after, the, as they left Egypt. is right in the beginning. They left Egypt and God, God himself was involved in taking them <clears throat> of, uh, of the Jewish people. Like, it's written he took out the Jews from Egypt like the, like the wings of the eagle. He carried the Jewish people on his wings, like an eagle carries his babies on his wings. He himself was doing it. Continue number source four. Source four. Behold, I am sending an angel before you to guard you <coughs> on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Beware of him and obey him. Do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your transgression, for my name is within him. This is actually, yeah. He says, I will send an angel before you to the place that I prepared. This is actually after the golden calf. Even I think it's written before, but I think it's after the golden calf. And basically, they lost this level of, of VIP relationship with God. Okay, continue, Danny. The reverence. The children receive more love. There's a lesson here for us. Torah logic allows for certain cases where the state of children is needed in order to be adults. It means to say, to all the, in order to be treated as adult, you better be a child. We'll see. Go ahead. The Samaxetic explains that this is the meaning of this verse because Israel was young. Hashem loved them. In this verse, Hashem is explaining the reason for his love of the Jewish people that he loves them because they are young. As the, the saying says, when we were small, we were considered to be men. Source number four. Yeah, what he says here is like this. He says, it's written, Kinar Israel The Jewish people are compared to a young boy, a young child. That's why I love him. Because of this, I love him. Because he's a young child, that's why I love him. But why? It's just like because, because uh, this person can learn a lot? I mean, because... It's just... Give us a chance, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Give us a chance. Is there, is there a Sorry. Source? Is there a source? A source? Yeah, sure. Oh, sure. It's in the bottom. It's on the bottom. Okay. Yes. 
Okay, continue number five. Source number five. Rabbi Azario in said in the name of the Rabbi Yehuda ben Simon. To what? <coughs> Shimon or Shimon? Simon, Simon. Rabbi ben Simon. To what can this be compared to a king that had a daughter? And he loved her very much as long as she was young. He would talk with her in, in the public. And whenever he would see her in a courtyard, he would. He would talk with her. Once she grew older, the king said, it's not honorable for my daughter that I should be talking with her in public. Rather, make her a private pavilion. And when I wish to talk with my daughter, I will do so in a private pavilion. Mr. Zavid, the child was young. He was talking to him in public. He showed love in public. Then she became older. He says it's already not respectful. If I want to talk to you, I want to give you, show you love, we'll do it in a private place. So too is with God and the Jewish people. So too when God saw the Jewish people in Egypt, they were young. As their verse states, Hosea 11.1, For when Israel was young, I loved him. And from Egypt I called my son. When he saw them at the sea, he spoke to them. As the verse states, Exodus 14, 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? When, when God told it to Moses, why cry out, cry out to me? When was it? The food? No. The manna? No. The water? Choose Crossing the water? Crossing the water. Before, when they were seeing the Egyptian coming from one side and the sea of reed from another side, and Moses they cried, out, cried out to God to help the Jews. God told them, why are you crying out to me? Go ahead, cause the, the, the sea. Split the sea and move on. It means God spoke to them openly, quick, on the spot. But that's one example. Another example, he saw them in Sinai. Sodom and Sinai spoke to them as the verse states, Deuteronomy 5, 4. Face to face, the Lord spoke with me. That was Mount Sinai. God spoke to the Jewish people face to face. That's how Moses describes it. But, once, but, but once they received the Torah and they became full-fledged nation, saying Exodus 4, 24, 7, all that Lord spoke with, we will do and we will hear. God said, it is not praiseworthy for my children that that I should be speaking with them in public rather make me a, a tabernacle. And when necessary, I will speak with them from the tabernacle. Thus the verse states, Numbers 789, when Moses would, be, would come into the tent of meeting to speak with him. Okay, then it says, but in the beginning he spoke to them on the street, so to speak. Later, when they became adult, they had to build a sanctuary, and only God revealed himself to Moses, spoke to Moses in the sanctuary. He didn't speak to him everywhere. When Moses wanted to speak to God, he had to go to the tent of the meeting. That's what it's called, to the, to the temple. Then it says in the beginning, it was open. The idea is, this medrash, which is a long medrash, and really could be quoted a little shorter, is uh, to say that God, the same idea, God spoke to the Jewish people when they were young, he treated them like adults. When they were old, he treated them like children. Mm. Now, why is it? That's the question that Mr. Dujinsky was asking. Would you mind to read it for us? The power of humility. The power of humility. Go ahead. Rabbi, we will add clarity to this based on the teaching of Hasidus, mm -hmm. which add clarity to everything. Most importantly, we will explain the practical lesson that we learned from this in our divine service of Torah and Mitzvah. Arrogance pushes God away. The Talmud teaches that any person who is arrogant, God says, he and I cannot dwell together in the world. Yeah, God says, the world is too small for both of us. Not the house, the world. Arrogance pushes a lot of people away. Uh, oh, very good. <laughs> And we mentioned yesterday a story about, there is a few stories, there's one story about a Hasidic Jew. He came to the Rebbe, he says, to his Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, they step all over me in the shul. You know what he told them? 
Don't spread yourself all over the shul, not everybody will step on you. <laughs> everybody steps all over him in the shul. Why aren't you? Why not anybody else? You are all over, therefore everybody steps on you. Shrink yourself a little bit, everything will be good. Now, the other story we mentioned yesterday, that this Hasidic Rebbe, his was name was the Rebbe of Apte, Yeshua Eshel of Apte, he was a Hasidic Rebbe in Romania. He died almost 200 years ago. And once he came to a city, and yet to visit for a weekend. And the custom was that the richest people in the city invite this Rebbe, it's an honor for them that the Rebbe will stay in the home. And they basically give the home for the event. It will be king gatherings and all the people will come and they'll break the house. And, but it's anything worth it for the honor that you have this famous Rebbe, he was a very famous Rebbe. And there are two families, two rich people who invited him to his house. One was a very religious man. Everything was by the book. But it was impossible to be around them. Arrogant, have a sugar nail, skims on everybody. The other one, he had stories about him. People said he's not so trustworthy, so honest with his wife. You know, there's things there. Schmecknisch good. But he was a humble man. He didn't skim on anybody. He wasn't arrogant. He was nice two houses, and they asked this Rebbe, who you want to go with? Which house you want to go? He says, I'll choose this house, the house of the humble man. I asked him, Rebbe, but this guy is so strict, everything is kosher in his house, it's perfect. He said like this, says, by the arrogant person, he quoted this line, God says, I cannot be with him in the same room, in, under the same roof in the, in the world. He says, if God is not there, why should I go there? By the other person, it's written, there is a verse in the Bible, God is dwelling within the impurities. No matter how bad, I want to tell you something, there is an amazing medrash. There is, there is a verse in the Bible, in the book of um, Proverbs, I think. It says, God will always care for the underdog. Always on the underdog. And the Medrash adds to it. I also was on the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, it's a Meredicker Medrash. It means it's an amazing Medrash. Even if the, the, the chaser is righteous, and the one who's being chased is wicked, God is with the guy who is being chased, with the underdog. Even if the underdog deserves it, is the underdog. I'm with him. From this comes the Jewish attitude always to be with the underdog. Now, we are not going into politics with this. <laughs> I'm going to take now a whole <laughs> lecture. We're talking about the concept. The concept that the Jewish people, and the question is, who is the underdog many times? People have the wrong underdog in their mind. But that's the problem. They twist humanity. They, they turn things around and they make from the, they make from the dog the underdog. And the, the dog who is attacked is playing the underdog. That's a different story. But the Jewish people are following, it's in, our, it's in eight, it's in our DNA, to always be with the underdog. Because God is with the underdog. Wouldn't you say, like, for the whole history, Jewish, Jewish nation was always underdog as it is? Kind of, um, usually, yes. We're such, a, we're such a minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we still have the underdog, right? right. right. Yes. Yeah. You're right, you're right. Most of the time, I won't say all the time, but most of the time, yeah. I think even when, suppose the Jews, Jews were good kind of things. Well, still, right. we, we, we were a minority. You're right, it's written in the Bible, you always be the smallest nation. It's written in the text, in Deuteronomy. And the world twists it. It says, it says we're the smallest, but yeah, we're going to multiply like the stars and the sand. The Moshiach will come. We will be, in one place Rashi says, we'll be alive as long as the stars and the, and the sun. We will exist forever. You know, the world does twist it, though. That's why you find Absolutely. yourselves in situations where... Yeah, we, we are the Goliath. Instead, we are surely the David. Yeah. Yeah. They take many people, <laughs> pretend to be the other yeah. top. We control the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very easy to twist the reality, very easy. Okay, continue, please. Rav Hasidah says, some say that the Mar 
Yeah. yeah. Said this. Pardon? Said this. Oh, yeah. The word is said. It's missing an S. Mm -hmm. Oh. Uh, uh, any person who has arrogance, God says he and I cannot dwell together in the world. As it is said, it is stated, he who slanders his neighbor in secret, I cut him down. One whose eyes are raised up high and his heart is expansive, I cannot tolerate him. He cannot tolerate the person who is, his eyes are hard, who is very arrogant. That's what God says. Continue. Do not read the verse as ato lo yuchal. Rather read it as ito lo yuchal, meaning with him. I cannot, I cannot be with, dwell with him. Exactly. God says it's a, it's a play of word a little bit. So can I ask a quick question? Yeah, sure. Not, so, even, I, not quick also is good. <laughs> so... Is this the, in a way, like the ultimate, like dividing line between God and whoever? Like, if you are not humble, you're then, not welcome. You, you bet. This is it. That's it. This what this what pushes you away from God. My ego is what pushes me away from God. When I have a little less ego, I have more God in me. A little more ego, and it's a matter of minutes. You know, it doesn't have to be two right. weeks. It's one minute. You know, what's a fast day? When you fast, you're a little tzukohun, a little this. <laughs> you're nicer, you're this. Little. The moment you eat your breakfast, whoa, whoa, you're coming. Biggest macher in town. Hey, because of two sandwiches, you lost it. <laughs> Is it on the, on the personal level, on the hospital level? For example, you have a hospital, one person is humble, one person is not. What happens to the house? The house. The <laughs> God is in the underdog. Depends if the wife is, you know, it depends where, who the wife is. Right? <laughs> By the way, for marriage, the secret for marriage is humbleness. It's for everything, for getting along in co-workers. You know, I read many articles, interviews, with people who live very long, over 100 years, 105, 110. Every time, almost 99, I read also men who, they are very unassuming people, they're happy. Oh, I have everything. Life is good. Your kids come to visit you. Yeah, they are so busy. Oh, they don't have time for me. I'm okay. No problem. It's about stress. If you if you are if you if you have no expectations, you have no stress. If you have no stress, you live long. It's all a cycle. And I, listen, I wish I could I could have there's no stress in my life, but it's all you see. People who live long. I saw it many times, and I saw it. It's almost a common denominator. It's people who do not have stress, who have no expectation, always smiling. Life is good. Yeah, it's good. Everything is okay. Life is good. They live forever. It is. There's that psychological principle. I can't remember the psychologist. It was a couple hundred years ago, probably. What do you say? Big ego equals big stress equals shorter life. Yeah. You see it? I mean, I read it. I mean, it's a... There's all sorts of studies that show that if you're under stress, you, your sickness is 15 to 20% more. Yeah. Ah, Shaila, I feel it every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, you're right. And this is about everything. Why is it among people? Because it's with God like this. You see, the spiritual world is a reflect. The physical world is a, a reflection of the spiritual world. If I cannot get along with God, if I have ego, other people cannot get along either. That's why I mentioned that the Mishnah in Perkei Avot, who says it many in Ethics of Our Fathers, how you know that God loves you? If people love you. Simple as that. I love God. <laughs> I love God. Doesn't take anything to love God, right? Why he's taking away from you the coffee? Why? <laughs> how I know that God loves me? If people love me. That's the best proof. That's why the Rebbe said, when he became a Rebbe, he said there is three loves. The loves of God, the love of Torah, and the love of Israel, and they're all interconnected. You cannot say, I love God, but I don't love Israel. If you don't love the Jewish people, the children of God, you don't love God either. Or God doesn't love you, that's for sure. You think you love God. Go ahead. Rebbe. Page 8. The empowerment of physical observance. Because such people so important in their own eyes, the point of arrogance, they fail to fulfill the purpose of certain making um, creation. creation. 
making a dwelling place for God in this world. Worse, even in the dwelling place that um, already exists, they push away God's presence because he and I cannot walk together. Not only they don't fulfill the purpose of God making it a place, the, the purpose to make the world a place for God, they chase God away. And you see it, the, what, what real comes unity? From humbleness. I cannot get my way. I mean, there is, I saw in the community, there was one man in Chabad who passed away not long ago. He was loved by everybody. It was like an unbelievable thing. His biggest and amazing character was, he was a very humble man. He never said a bad word on anybody. People used to skim at him, insult him. He said nothing, he smiled, nothing. It was, it was universal, it was like unbelievable to see it. In any case, go ahead, continue. The more humility there is, the more godliness is here. Simple as that. It's not, it's easy to talk about it. It's how to do it. You know, there's the famous story of Rabbi Zushi of Anipoli. He was once praying Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur next to another Jew. And this Jew, they didn't give him the Aliyah that he wanted. He was not called up for the, the right Aliyah. It's a famous story. And he, he got very upset. This Jew was sitting next to him. And he started to scheme on the Gaba and he made the whole thing, the whole synagogue was turning over. I must tell you, when I grew up in the synagogue where in Bnei Brak, there were stories like this. Mm-hmm. People didn't get the right aliyah, and it was the middle of Yom Kippur scheming, I will never forgive you, and I will never do this to you. It was a whole scene. Yes. <laughs> huh? You've seen that too. In other shows, the more that they say, the, the whole was, I will never forgive you, it took away from me the right to die. <clears throat> I remember a few times I was very young, it was a whole scene there. When this Jew came back, and the, the, the Gabbai apologized, and he, the Jew, they gave him what he wanted. Then he came back, he was sitting there, took him a long time to relax, you know, he was still angry. <laughs> and finally he relaxed. And Reb Zushafani turns to him and says, tell me, I just heard you praying in the prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we say, we are like dust, and our life is like a, like, a, like a leaf, and we are nothing in front of you, God. If you're dust and your life and you're nothing, then what do you care which only you get? <laughs> they told them, sure. He told them, absolutely. In the eyes of God, for sure I'm dust. In the eyes of the God, I'll show him who is dust. <laughs> Understand? To be in the eyes of God, dust is easy. To be in the eyes of the Gabbai dust. Hmm. A story about somebody put the, the book of the Tanya. The Tanya is the, you all know what Tanya is. It's, a, the, it's the Bible of Chabad, if you want. It's the, 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 the was written by the Alter Rebbe. The philosophy of Chabad is in the book of the Tanya. Until today, everything we do, we stand, we live, is, is by the Tanya. Somebody put the Tanya in his satanet. And he told them, if you would take the otter and you sit on it, he would also wouldn't say anything. He's so humble that he wouldn't say anything if you sit on him too. He's to say, you, you're thinking you're insulting him when you sit on it. You don't even know what's written there and who is the author of this book. Because when Alter Rebbe wrote his book, the Tanya, was a big, was a lot of opponents against Chabad. It was a big fight against the Botania, they burned the book in public in some places. Yeah, it was a big sting though. Because they were revealing something that people shouldn't have? That was revealing something that people don't want to know. And they have to be better. That the humbleness, the whole thing about humbleness, that God, that there is God everywhere, you cannot run away from God. That was the Alter Rebbe was teaching, that God is in the toilet, God is everywhere. No such thing is running away from God. And if the God's presence is in front of you, you better shrink a little bit. Nobody, not many people didn't like it. That's one of the many things that are written down. Okay, then this is what it's all about. The advantage of being smooth. The rabbit. based on this, we can... Then do we answer the question, Mr. Dozhinsky? 
I don't remember what was your question. Can you repeat the question? Please. No. I don't know if you remember it either. I'm a new question now. humble. I'll tell you, because your God is with you, because we are, we are humble, God is with us, we are successful in everything. That's what it's all about. You're small. We become a vessel for God, you understand? When this cup is full, there is no place for anything. When the cup is empty, there is place for God. Go ahead. I, I totally get it. But there's, there's also an expression that uh, the grease, uh, the squeaky wheel, yeah, squeaky wheel get greased. And I also noticed for some reason, comical don't always become very successful in their professions. You know, they're very too humble to succeed sometimes. In what world? Yes. Yes, this is true. Well, there's a line like no, if you're being taken advantage of consistently. Yeah, being humble, true. being humble, being taking advantage is two separate things. Moses, the Torah writes about him, he was the humblest man on earth. You think that Moses led every schlepper in the, in the Jewish people to, take, to do whatever he wants? No. He was very strict leader. That's why when he died, not everybody mourned him. Not everybody loved him. Moses put uh, Korach with his people. They swallowed up in the herd and they both disappeared, right? Co- um, Moses put people in the place many times. But yet they always drained his cup, right? Yeah, they but what they... I mean to say is why was he... he was humble. Yeah, but why, what means he was humble? He used to say to himself, if somebody else would have the opportunity that I have, he would do a better job. Then he never gave himself credit. If I ask um, Mr. Kemalar if he's a psychologist and he said no, he's not humble, he's he's lying. A humble person says, if I would be, if anybody else would have this opportunity, this brain that I have, and the parents that I had, and the community that I had, and the things that I have, it would be much better. It would do with these opportunities much more than I did. Then he always, when he went to sleep, every night the Moses went to sleep, he felt he never did enough. I can tell you about the Rebbe. He was never satisfied. Never. It was never enough. And therefore he demanded from everybody around him also. But he once told somebody, what I demand from you, I demand from myself a hundred times more. And this is humbleness. Humbleness comes from a sense Oh my God, I can't believe it. I want to do this and this. And, and this person. If, the, the world, if, one, if you want to fix the world, no matter how much you do, it's not good enough. I think I understand the word itself, humbleness. It's not necessarily uh, the, the means of. No, it doesn't mean that people should take advantage, should abuse you. No, absolutely not. No, it's not. A, it's not a sign of weakness. No, it's, it's a, it's a sign. No, it's a sign of strength. It's a strength. It's a personal characteristic of strength. Oh, exactly. Of great strength. He knows who he is. He knows what his job is. Moses knew he's the leader of the Jewish people. He better keep this place going. If not, don't make him golden calves every week. <laughs> and and on the other end, he was the humble. The God Himself says, and that is the most humble man on earth. It would make for the Torah to be a lot longer if there was a golden calf every week. <laughs> See, Moses <laughs> took Moses yeah, was a, <laughs> Moses was away for know, forty true. days. They made the golden calf. Aaron was a softy, and therefore they did a golden calf. He was softer. He was more nicer in kind. Aaron was like the mother of the Jewish people. But it's not written about Aaron. He was he was a humble man. But it's not written. He was the most humble man. Moses, the strong leader, was the humblest man. Moses went to Pharaoh and told him, let my people go and I'm not afraid of you. To go to Pharaoh and risk your life, you have to be a humble man. If you're not a humble man, you don't do this. If you, what means a person is ego? He cares about himself, not about others. Moses put his, his life on line for the Jewish people. People who are very good don't do it. Only humble people do it. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you for the question. Thank you for your question too. Very <laughs> question too. <laughs> you know, you know. I tell people what I do with, when, when people come. With, somebody starts learning with me. There's many questions. I tell them, you know what? Let's put the questions on the side. In six months, we'll talk again. It's not that I give them answers. They don't have questions. <laughs> That's a real accomplishment. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Based on this, we can explain the saying: When we were small, we were considered to be men. And now that we are old, we are considered children. 
as it pertains to our divine service. Mm -hmm. Accomplishment generates feeling of importance. Now that we are old, refers to a person considered old in Torah terms. The Torah um, steeped in holiness, mm -hmm. wisdom, a person steeped in holiness, wisdom, and Torah knowledge. Since his soul is elastic in a uh, body, it is uh, unavoidable that the greatness will cause him to feel a degree of self-importance. Because of his greatness, he will find it difficult, it difficult to negate his sense of self and uh, fully feel my soul is like dust to all. You see, it's very easy to be humble when you have nothing. <laughs> you're not educated, you're not rich, you're not a sex successful, very easy to be humble. But when somebody is acknowledging God, you learn Torah, a lot of Torah, for them to be humble is a much bigger challenge. The more accomplished the person is, the harder it is for him to be humble. Then when somebody says, I'm humble, he tells them, you're, not, you're humble because you have nothing to, to be proud of, not to be, not to, nothing to be arrogant about. It's not so hard for you to be humble. It's the challenge to be humble is for accomplished people. They should be humble. For successful people to be humble, that's accomplishment. That's, that's the challenge. Continue. Lack of achievement generates humility. On the other hand, when uh, we were small, we were considered to be men. This refers to a person who is small in Torah knowledge, but possesses the quality of humility. Regarding such um, people, the verse says, with the lofty and the holy one, I dwell, and with a crushed and humble in spirit, um, God's presence is revealed most strongly to those that are humble. Yeah, he says what the truth is, if somebody has less to offer and he feels humble, the bottom line, he has God with him. He has nothing to offer. Then basically, you have a congregation of great scholars and a congregation of very simple Jews. Where is God? Where the simple Jews? The whole underdog, you're always because the, 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 the congregation of scholars. Oh, everybody is so important. <laughs> you know what I know, you know how much I know. <laughs> Back to my my shul in Bene days, every there was no rabbi, <laughs> there was no rabbi in the synagogue, official <laughs> rabbi. <survived>. Why <laughs> everybody was a rabbi, they were all scholars, heads of yeshivas, running schools. Everybody was a rabbi. Every Shabbos was a war. <laughs> it's written this way, this way, no, this way, pulling out books, fighting. And the whole joy was to prove that the other guy is wrong. The biggest joy was to prove that, ah, I cut here, you don't know what's written there. <laughs> it was full of God, full of Torah. I can tell you that not much of God was there. Everybody was fighting. A shul of simple Jews. God is there, because there is humbleness there. Then, on one end, they have Torah. But because the Torah, it's very hard, it gives a lot, a lot of ego. So how are these meetings that you got like twice a year, you have 5,500 rabbis in one place? Nobody has time to do anything. It's so many people, there is no, no nothing there. Mm -hmm. but is there a... Everybody's trying to survive, just so many people there. No, there is no ego there whatsoever. It's everybody talks, nobody, the people who speak, nobody even listens to them, it's okay. <laughs> nobody gets ego there. Everybody gets very humble there. I was wondering, so many... No, no, it's a whole different world. No. It's the ultimate, the ultimate humbling experience. Because you, you think in your own city you are God himself. Then you come there, nobody even looks at you. Nobody even knows your name. You're one of men, or you're one of 5,000. That's why Hasidim used to go to the Rebbe. By the, there's a saying, the Averis, the sins that you do by the Rebbe, are greater than the, greater than the mitzvahs that you do at home. Why? Listen like carefully again. The various, the sins that you do by the Rebbe are greater than you, the mitzvahs that you do at home. Because at home you do the mitzvah, you feel so good about yourself. Oh, I was praying so well. Now I'm meeting the Choland. I'm so good, so full of myself. I'm so, I'm, God does not have enough, enough garden of Eden for me, right? You come to the Rebbe, you are pushed like a dog. Nobody even looks at you. You don't exist. And suddenly you, who are you? I remember was once my brother, he was seven, 16 years old or 15, 16. He was fighting over the spot, the room, waiting to hear the Rebbe's talk. It was on Shabbos in Yonder, the Rebbe spoke without a microphone. 
And it was a matter how close you sit, he's sitting, he's standing. He was fighting with an old guy. He didn't know who it is. And he, went, and he called him, you told me this, that's my place, you, you. The guy got all insulted and says, you call me one more time, you, I'll stop you. He was the head of, the, of a yeshiva, a big rabbi, very important, a great scholar, a real great scholar. Next to him is sitting a friend of him, his same age. He looks at me, he said, he told, called him by his name, I don't want to say his name. He called him by his name, he said, he said what happened to you? <laughs> like he says, he called him by his name, he says, what, what is wrong with you? Like, what, what, what are you skimming at this boy? Are you crazy? And this guy, his friend, who was not a great scholar, but he knew him from Yeshiva, like, they were about 70 years old people. He, like, he made them, he put them right in his place in one second. And this old rabbi, that in his own city was the head of the yeshiva, a great rabbi, accomplished man, respected by thousands of people, came to seven cents, he had to fight with a little boy over the spot, over the same place. Nobody cared who he is. By the rabbi, we are all equal. Therefore, a mitzvah, so to speak, a sin that you do by the, by the rabbi, humbles you and connects you more to God than the mitzvahs that you do at home and you think you're full of, when you're full of yourself, the mitzvah, what's the mitzvah, what's the purpose of the mitzvah? To connect to God. If you're full of yourself, you're not connecting. Let's say you give charity and then you go home and say, oh, I'm so important, look what I did. And you, you lose your connection. The whole purpose of the mitzvah is to connect you and you ruin it. You know, there's a famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. He came once to a yeshiva and he walked in, the Baal Shem Tov is the founder of the Hasidic movement. And he walked in and he says, oh, this place is full of Torah, full of Torah. And everybody was smiling. And then he said, it's Torah with irrigants. The Torah stays here. It doesn't go up to heaven. It's full of Torah. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's what it's all about. That's why they hate the book of the Tanya. Before we spoke about the Tanya, what was the fight? The Tanya taught a Jew that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about anybody else. It's about others. It's about anybody else. Anybody else, not about you. And it's anybody else and not about me. That's the beginning of the gate of the entrance to God. The beginning of the relationship with God starts when it's not about me. That's the beginning. And then there is place for everything. Then everything works, works, works out. Source number seven. Mr. Dushinsky, you want to read? I'm sorry. <coughs> for so said the high and exalted one who dwells spiritually and his name is Holy. Holy. With the lofty and the holy ones I dwell, and with crushed and humble in spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the crushed. Mm-hmm. The Reverend. This is an implication of the words of the Talmud. Initially it is written, and the Lord went before them, etc. In which it implied that smallness is a key for the revelation of the divine presence. Level of humility. In greater detail, I'm not sure what's going on. Continue, continue. Absolute nothingness. There are multiple levels of humility. There is multiple levels of humility. That's what is important. Okay, okay number one. Go ahead. First. There are mul- uh, absolute nothingness. There are multiple levels of humility. First, there is a state of complete nothingness, such as that achieved by Moses, who said, what are we? Moses says, what are we? We are nothing. Ma means nothing. What? I'm a nothing, he said. That Moses says, he told the Jewish people, why are you complaining about me? God told me to do it. What do you want from me? Go ahead. Moses was capable of this level of humility. As the verse says, Moses was the most humble person on the face of the earth. That's one level. <coughs> Nothingness. L- level number two. Dust. Then there is a level of humility of our forefather Abraham, who said, I am dust and ashes. This is not complete self self-nullification, like who are we? There is still a minimum level of self-consciousness. There is something there, there is dust. Yeah, when somebody says I'm like dust and, and, uh, and ashes, we, we, Abraham said it in the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, when he tried to pray to God to save Sodom, he said to God, God, I'm sorry that I talked to you again because I'm only dust and ashes. But he didn't say like Moses, we are nothing. That's already something there. Is, as he says, there is still minimal level of self-consciousness. Wouldn't be like more, there is still minimal level of self-importance? The same idea, consciousness. You cannot say, yeah, it's the same idea. Okay. Yeah, there is something there. I know that I exist. Continue. Worm. 
Then we have the level of humility of King David. David was exceedingly humble as he said, I calmed and quieted my soul. But David's humility was on the level of I am a worm and not a man. This is a level of great humility, not feeling like a person at all, but it isn't as great as the humility of dust and inanimate object. And it is certainly inferior to the level of complete nothingness. What are we? The King David already said, I'm like a worm. A worm is a living thing. It's not dust and it's not nothingness. I'm a worm and not a person, but I'm something. I'm living. It's, a, it's all levels of humility. How, how much of humility? How much? Still, there is an existence. I know that I exist. Self-worth. Continue. All the rest of us who aren't on the level of the patriarchs, the wheels of the divine chariot, or King David, the fourth wheel, certainly don't reach the level of complete nothingness. Exactly. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Because Israel was young, and we are small even in terms of Torah knowledge, this generates humility and brokenness of spirit, which in turn raises us to a high level we were considered to be men. That means to say it like this. Then uh, we are not Moses. I'm not even David. No, anywhere close. But a little bit of humbleness will bring us God. That's what he says. And this is helping us also in learning Torah. Go ahead. The humility and the law, Rebbe. Moreover, the quality of humility also leads to an increase in Torah knowledge and understanding. This is what the verse states, My soul is like dust to all. Open my heart to your Torah. Meaning that humility is a medium that enables proper Torah study. You see, this is a verse that we say right by the end of the Amidah. When I will be like dust, this will open my heart to the Torah. It means the condition to open your heart to the Torah is being, being humble. And here he explains why. Go ahead. We find this mentioned in, the, in Talmud as well. Regarding the disputes between the schools of Hillel and Shammai, the Talmud asks, why did the school of Hillel merit that the law is established in accordance with their opinions? The reason the Talmud raises this question is because the school of Shammai seemingly had an advantage of the school of Hillel in Torah knowledge because they were sharper analysts. The Talmud answers that the law follows the school of Hillel because they were agreeable and forbearing and would even mention the statements of the school of Shammai before their own. Their forbearance, an attribute of humility and self-nullification, thus contributed to their Torah, leading to the law being established in accordance with them. It means to say like this, there were two schools of thought, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, in the time of the Second Temple, talking about 2,000 years ago. And as we mentioned yesterday, the, for example, Hanukkah is coming up, there is an argument between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai, who were the smarter ones, said we have to light eight candles the first night, the second night seven candles, the third night six candles going down. Beit Hillel says the way we do it, the first night one candle, the second night two candles, and so on. Two opinions. The Talmud itself says that Beit Shammai was smarter. They understood the, the, the Torah much better than, the, than Beit Hillel. They were, they were just more intelligent. And if they were more intelligent, the Torah is all about the intelligence, why, why the Allah became like Beth Hillel? The Talmud says because they were humble. What means they were humble? For example, whenever they used to say, their opinion they used to say like this, Beth Shammai says this way, and we say this way. There are over 300 arguments between Beth Shammai and Beth Hillel. Almost all of them, the, Allah, the, the Jewish law, the bottom line is like Beth Hillel, not like Beth Shammai. We do, we, we practice like Beth Hillel. Then the question is, if they are smarter, why is that? Because I'm humble, therefore the Allah is like me. What is there? Because I'm humble, it means I know better. If it's all about knowledge, why, why, is it, why should the Allah be like Beth Hillel because he's humble? But he doesn't know what he's talking about. So is it because he's humble? I'll, I'll listen to him. He doesn't know. The other guy is smarter. And that's why I spoke about that yesterday. In Judaism, in the Torah, there is two things. There is chokhmato, the wisdom of God, and there is retzono, the will of God. The wisdom of God is the Torah. The Torah is the wisdom of God. When we learn Torah now, we are learning the, what is the wisdom of God, the way God thinks, the way God looks. And, and the, that's the wisdom of God. We, our head learns to think in a godly way. But the will of God 
what, than what God wants. This opinion is, is, uh, makes sense. The other, what God wants for me to do now, this way or the other way? How do I know what God wants? For this, to know God's will, you need to have a leap of faith. You need to have a... It's more than just being smart. You need to have the connection to know what God wants. You need to have spiritual intuition, almost a telepathy, to feel the will of God. It's something that's connected more to feeling than to a knowledge. You learn and you try to understand, but to feel what God wants, for this you need to be a tzaddik. Beit Hillel were more tzaddikim. They were more righteous. They were more connected. It's like what I said when we spoke about it. Then it's like you go to a doctor. You ever see, you, something is bothering you. The doctor doesn't figure out. Now one doctor, a bigger doctor, a bigger doctor, more important. The professor, nobody knows. Then one day you fall on a regular doctor who listens to you and examines you and tries to really feel your pain. And he is able to diagnose the problem. What changed? Because he was humble. He didn't come with the preconceived notions that he knows everything. Oh, yeah, I saw this, this condition 10 times. Boom. Next, next, next. He listened. He examined. He felt the patient. He heard the story, how it started. He took the time. It wasn't about him. It was about the patient. To understand the will of God, it's not enough to be an intellectual genius. You have to, have to, you have to be humble and connected. And Tzaddikim, the Rebbe was a very unusual case that he was a very great scholar and a holy man. But many Tzaddikim were not necessarily great scholars. But they were connected and they knew the will of God. He said, what today God wants from us is this, not something else. Because to know, to feel the will of God, that you need to have the connection. That's Beit Dilele, the connection, bigger than Benjamin. Continue. This is the quote from... Rabbi Abba said in the name of Shmuel, for three years, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel disagreed. These said, the halacha is in accordance with our opinion, and these said, the halacha is in accordance with our opinion. A divine voice emerged and proclaimed, these and those are the words of the living God. However, the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Beit Hillel. Since both these and those are the words of the living God, why did Beit Hillel merit to have the halacha established in accordance with their opinion? Because they were kind and forbearing and they studied their own rulings and those of Beit Shemai. Moreover, they mentioned the statements of Beit Shemai before their own. Let's put it this way. Somebody who is not humble is for sure not righteous. I can tell you that. Hmm. Righteous is not. It may be very, many, many good things, but not righteous. Go ahead. Humility and prayer. Now, until now, we talk about in Torah. If you really want to understand Torah, to connect to God, to know what God's will is, you to be humble. Now it's about prayers. The Rebbe. Similarly, with regard to prayer, the Amida prayer must be done with a feeling of self-nullification, like a servant before his master, who can't even move without permission. In addition, the Amida prayer begins with the request, My Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise, framing the prayer as following God's cue. You know, when we, we start the Amida, we go three steps backwards, and that's like we're going to a king. You know that? That's why we do it. We go three steps backwards before we start the Amida, the silent Amida. Then we go three steps f forward. Like you're going to a king. You walk back and then you go forward. Here's the king, you're going. And then we stand, we're not allowed to talk, not allowed to move, not to say hello, not to smile. You have to talking to the king. Why? Because you have to be in total humbleness. And, and you're like a servant to, to his master. Not only this, and therefore, we also we bow down. We bow down twice in the beginning of the Amida, twice in the end of the Amida we bow down. And you start and when you finish. And when you, when you finish the silent Amida, we also go back three steps backwards. And then we go back to our place, so to speak. Because I enter the chamber and I walk out of the chamber. And during the silent Amida, even if you sneeze, you don't say, bless you, and no shmes you, and no nothing, and no hello, and no goodbye. You're speaking to God and finished. People make me so nervous. They're doing another 50 things in between. You're speaking to God during the Amida from the beginning. When Saiga says on page, from page this to page this, from page 34 to 41, you don't move. 
You don't your own ambition. Most difficult things to concentrate, just like nothing comes. This is like no. I understand. Listen, if you come something to our mind, it comes to our mind. I'm not a righteous man either, but at least physically we don't move, and we don't do anything else. Why would they end the meter? You are like you said in the beginning, <coughs> free now, uh, and when it's finishing, it's only free back. I also, think. you go back for uh, back back. It doesn't say this. It says. It says. It does. It doesn't say? It does, I think, yeah. I think sure it does. We will just take a look. Uh, we'll take a look. Maybe he's humble, he's humble. Ho ho, your wife now is going to hold it again, you. <laughs> now, the other thing is, when we start the prayer, the Amida, the line before the Amida, there is a small line. It says, God, open my lips. My Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare you praise. So to speak, I say to God, God, I cannot even say you praises. You open my lips. You say it for me. Why do we do the Amida twice? Like, why do we do it silently and then not? Because for people who cannot, who can, who cannot read themselves. Used to be generations. In the time of the Talmud, most of the community did not know how to read. And they needed some, and by me saying amen, it's like I did it. From the, because, and because even today, many people don't know, they don't, they don't do it. Even if they know how to read in English, they don't do it. And, but that's they established because we're not going to ask every, every, every week, anybody does not know how to read? Okay, we'll do for you the Amida again. We'll embarrass somebody that the Jewish people established. And it's every Amida is repeat, every, it's called the repetition of the Amida. And we do it for, it started because people did not know how to read. But now in every service it exists. You're welcome. Continue. In order to achieve the requisite level of self-notification, lengthy meditation is required. This is especially true in our times, that merely contemplating the line, my Lord, open my lips, etc., is not enough, and even the preceding Shema and its blessings is insufficient. This is why the Pesukei Zimra verses of praise were added later to the prayers, and it was later stated that meditation is required even before beginning to pray. Despite all of this, we see that unfortunately, even after all of this introduction, it still sometimes happens that we fail to pray with the proper state of mind, like a servant before his master. It means to say, we all, the Amida is in the middle, of, it's already a long time after the beginning of the service. We prepare all the, all the prayers before is to remind us how small we are and how great the world is and how, God, how much God loves us and how much lucky we are and we should be thankful. And still, sometimes we forget to be humble when we come to the Amida. Continue. You know, uh, uh, Danny, you want to continue? Yes, but this is all for people that are old. But when we are young, we were like, what the Mid Midler Rebbe says about the poor person. In a physical and a spiritual sense, that he needs no deep meditation. Because as soon as he recalls his Impoverished state he breaks down in a bitter tears. Similarly, in a case, humility helps us achieve the necessary self notification in God's presence. That the prayer requires, prayer like Torah study, is a, a general mitzvah that is compared to the spine that runs through the entire body and holds up the, all of the limbs. Basically, doing learning Torah and doing prayers. We need to be humble. Then the prayer, our prayers will be answered. Then we'll make the, what is prayers? Prayers is not only about asking my needs. Prayer is about making a connection. You know the word prayer in Hebrew, is, called, is also has a meaning of attaching, connecting, being attached, being, becoming a part. Prayers, why pray three times a day? For my needs? Once a day is more than enough. Once a week should be more than enough. What is this? Again and again, not Nick, you came back with the same thing? Prayer is about connecting. Connecting is about humbleness. And the same goes everywhere. So being grateful is also being humble. Absolutely. Gratefulness. Absolutely. Gratefulness comes from a sense of humbleness. Because I don't expect anything. Therefore, whatever somebody is giving to me, I'm grateful. Whenever there is, you know the famous line, lower your expectation, you lower your frustration. That's what Miriam tells me every day. <laughs> <laughs> Then, uh, then it's all about a gratefulness. The whole idea of being grateful comes from a sense of not expecting anything. The less I expect, the more I'm grateful. 
when you're expecting from people, oh, I was expecting he should do this, and he should, my friend didn't call me, I can't believe it. And my, that's how you lose your friend. That's how people lose all the friends. I can't believe I did for them A, B, and C, and he never did to me when I was sick and I was this. If you're expecting, nothing is going to happen. Go ahead. It is therefore... It is therefore clear that when a person feels small, they should real utilize the feeling in a positive and holy manner to reach true humility as opposed to false humility that are also rabbis that condemns, uh, con condemns in a tanya. In tanya. True humility is a conduct, conduit for incomparably greater success in Torah study. Prayer and mitzvah observance. This is the meaning of the, when we were young, we were considered to be like men. When we were young, when we were humble, when we did not so much, we had God with us. Now that we are so full of ourselves, we are in trouble. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah.